Let us pray together now. Lord God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would still our hearts and still our minds, uh, that we could hear what you are speaking to us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, our family went to Vancouver uh, to go see Cirque du Soleil. And for those of you who've been, you know what an experience it can be. Um, I am someone who loves a good system, to see things well organized and everything work so well together. And so our experience at Cirque du Soleil just made my heart sing from the purchase of the tickets to how you come in and you get seated and watching all the pieces just click whether it was the stage set and how it moved or how the performers all came together to the technology, it was an absolute spectacle uh, to behold. But the fact that it was organized was not what made it so entertaining. It was not the fact that everything fit together that drew everyone in. It was the fact that it was organized Yet at the same time, it was right at the edge of chaos. You could tell that these performers were pushing themselves to the absolute limit. It was not a sure thing that the ball would stay on their fingers. It was not a sure thing that they would complete all of the flips. It was not a sure thing that they would not come crashing to the ground. It is that combination of order and chaos that makes for good entertainment. There needs to be enough order for us to follow what is going on, but there needs to be some chaos so that we don't know quite what is going to happen next. We find that entertaining. Order is what we know. It is where we are comfortable. It is where we find home. It is where we find things predictable. Chaos is what we don't know. It's where we are uncomfortable. It's where we find things unpredictable. Good entertainment, a good story, dances at that point between order and chaos. But it isn't just entertainment that thrives at this edge. It isn't just a good time to be had where we know what's going to happen, yet we are on the edge of something different might happen. It's at that threshold where our lives find meaning, where we find growth, where we are challenged to grow. We are encouraged to develop into something we are not yet. It may be in the small challenges in life. It may be in the big challenges in life. But it is when we experience something that is out of the ordinary that we have the opportunity to grow. Take, for example, a young child learning something new. I think of my boys, whether we are learning to read or doing math or we're working on a construction project like a gate or shed. 
There is what they know, and there is what they don't know. And you can see the frustration when they don't understand something. But then you can see the joy when they get it. They go, aha, I get it. But it is not just when we learn in structured environments. It's also when we go through great trials, when we go through traumas, when we carry burdens and face challenges. It's when we step outside of our ordered lives that we encounter chaos, where we encounter disorder. It is in these points that we have the opportunity to grow. Psychologists have described this visually with what they call the zone of proximal development. So think of three concentric circles. And the inner circle is what you know. This is home. This is where everything is ordered. And everything outside that circle is what you don't know. But the second circle shows the zone of what you could know. This is the zone that if you push yourself a little bit, you can learn something more. It is in this zone, beyond what we know, but still in the zone of what we could know, that they call the zone of proximal development. This is where learning can occur. And to the extent that we are able to regularly and consistently encounter this zone, we can develop and mature as people. Psychologist Robert Berezin has remarked, it is through the brain's ability to process chaos by being open to randomness itself that we manage aliveness. Now, often we find ourselves well outside that zone of what we know. In fact, we find ourselves well beyond that zone of what we could know. We are surrounded by disorder. We feel lost, adrift, and hopeless. The problem is, when we encounter that much chaos, that much disorder, we experience trauma. It may be the tragedies of life, such as the death of a loved one or a sick child. It may be the emotional pain of mental health or addiction it may be brought on by the sheer complexity of this world in which we live, from the challenges we face politically to environmental issues to political divisions to the challenges we have as a community of believers. Sometimes we enter that zone of proximal development because we choose to, but more often than not, we enter that zone because we are put there. We find ourselves thrown into chaos. Our passage today comes from Colossians, and it speaks to a community that finds itself in the midst of that chaos. And so I ask you to turn now in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1, 
Now I'll be reading from verse 10 through to verse 20. So hear now the word of God. So as to walk in a manner fully worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This is the word of God. The book of Colossians was written by Paul around 60 AD during the reign of Emperor Nero. Nero was known for his persecution and torture of Christians. It was a time of disorder. It was a time of chaos. The followers of Jesus were were faced with immense pressure. Chaos that was not in that zone of what they could learn, but chaos that was well beyond, well beyond that point of where they could feel comfortable on their own. And so in response to this situation, the church there was gravitating toward false teaching, teaching that gave a sense of order in a chaotic world. Specifically, it was being taught that to follow God, to be a true follower of Jesus, one needed to follow strict rules around what what you ate, what you drank, and what religious festivals you partook in. Additionally, it was taught that you could draw near to God through worship of angels. All of this was an attempt to bring order in a disordered world. Now, this might seem distant and far removed from us, but is it really? We have the same tendency that when we encounter disorder, we want to impose our order on it. How often do we hear about how a new diet or the avoidance of certain foods can transform us? Now, there can clearly be medical reasons to alter one's diet. But how often does the hype around diets, around supplements, around cleanses, 
have more to do with our need for psychological order than sound biological or medical reason. Or take, for example, our fascination with celebrities. Does that not border on worship? We may not be worshiping angels, but what is our relationship to sports stars, musicians, and famous actors? So while it may seem that the specific issues that the church in Colossae was facing are different from us, I would argue that they are not that much different at all. And so Paul's response to these false teachings is helpful for us. We live in a chaotic world. We seek order. Now, as we look at this text, it breaks into two parts. Verses 10 through 14, we see an overview of what Paul is talking about. And the second part, verses 15 through 20, Paul gives us the specific details. So in verse 11 through 14, we see that Paul is teaching that they may be strengthened with all power according to the might and endurance and patience of God. That in being filled with this understanding, they may be qualified to inherit the light. That they may move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son, because they have been forgiven. Now in the second part, we learn how that process is possible. We learn about who Jesus is and in who Jesus is, how those things are possible. It is the knowledge of God that Paul speaks of in verse 10 that we see flushed out in verses 15 through 20. There are three distinct things that Paul is teaching us here. One, Jesus is God. Two, everything was created by him. And three, Jesus is in control. So one, Jesus is God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We read this in verse 15. Now, there is a Uh, parallel here with the opening chapter of Genesis where we see that people are created in the image of God. But here we read that Jesus is the image of God. In John chapter 14, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus responds, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When we look at Jesus, we see God. Now verse 15 goes on to say that he is the firstborn of all creation. Now we can see that as uh, Jesus being created when we read that firstborn, but that is not what is being conveyed here. It is conveying the Jewish understanding of rights and preeminence. Here we need to think of Jacob and Esau, the twins we read about in the Old Testament. 
Esau was born first, but it was Jacob who had preeminence. He was the one of superior importance. And so when we look ahead to verse 18 in our passage, the text states that in everything he, that is Jesus, might be preeminent. It is a misreading of this text to see it as Jesus, or conveying that Jesus is, has been created. It was this misreading that happened during the fourth century when Arius taught that there was a time before Jesus existed, that God himself, the Father, created God the Son. And so in 325 AD, the church came together with the Nicene Creed, which we read in part stating, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Jesus is God. Jesus is preeminent. And so Jesus, as God, made everything. Everything was made through him and for him. We read this in verses 16 and 17. Now there are two parts to this. There is the past and there is the present aspect to this. The past part is he was before absolutely everything that is out there. It is not as if Jesus encountered something and made it into this world, made it into this cosmos. He was before it and he created all of it. He made every single thing in this world. But it is not just something that he made. It is not just something that he set in motion and stepped back. There is a present aspect to this. Jesus is holding everything together. From the smallest atom to the entire universe, Jesus is present and active right now, holding all of that together. We like to make things, some of us more than others. But I think you can all relate to that experience of making something and knowing it intimately. I enjoy woodworking, whether it's making a cabinet, building a table, building a gate. When I make something, I know how it goes together. I know how those joints fit. I know how that wood behaved when I cut into it. When we make something, we know it in greater detail than when we just observe the end product. And so Jesus, having made the entire cosmos... He knows it so intimately 
and so perfectly because he made it. So Jesus made it. He holds it together, but it is not beyond his control. He is in perfect control of everything. And so look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the head of his church. What happens if the church has no head? It becomes a lifeless corpse. A body cannot live without its head. And so Jesus, as its head, gives control. He is in control of what is happening. Jesus has a plan. He sees what is going on in our lives personally. He sees what is going on in our lives as a church. He sees what is going on in our country and in our world. And he, as the head, is in control. That can be hard because we don't always get to see that he's in control. Sometimes it takes days. Sometimes it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes years. And sometimes we never get to see it. But we know that Jesus is in control. Now, as you know, I work at the food bank, and I've worked at the food bank now for almost nine years. But I applied for that job at the food bank 11 years ago. And when I applied, I thought, this is a slam dunk. I am going to get this job. When I looked at what they were looking for, I ticked every box. When I looked at what I was excited about, it ticked every box. So I applied. I think the interviews went as close to flawless as they could. Yet I didn't get hired. So there I was, a young man, my early 30s, unemployed, homeless at the time, and recently married. Not a good place to be. And to see a job in front of you that you think is perfect, that would address so many of those things that you're finding a challenge, that was incredibly hard. And I asked God, why didn't I get that job? And I didn't get an answer. I didn't get an answer for two years. In fact, it took longer than two years. After two years, I got the job, and when I first started, I was like, yeah, it's about time. (laughs) 
but it probably took another year for me to realize why I didn't get the job the first time. I got to spend two years working at St. Jean's Cannery. Not the sort of place that someone with an MDiv who wants to serve the community thinks they're going to end up. But what an incredible gift that was. That was a place that I learned tons of entrepreneurial spirit. It was also a place that I learned how a warehouse worked. So when I came to Loaves and Fishes, where there was no warehouse and could use a bit of entrepreneurial spirit, we were able to run with it. Now, I consider it a great gift that I was able to get that bit of perspective and see why I didn't get that job for two years. And so I offer that as encouragement for whatever you may be going through. It may take years, but there is a plan. God is working amongst the chaos. He is bringing order to it. Jesus is bringing order to all things. He is making all things right. We see this in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is bringing peace to everything. Now, I began by giving the concept of proximal development, that area where we bump outside of what is known. It is that area where we can develop and grow as people. But when we're in that area, we learn best when we have a teacher. When we are not on our own. And that's why we go to school. That's why we go to colleges. That's why we have friends. That's why we have church communities around us to help us learn. But more importantly, it's why we have Christ. Because he is that teacher who is there with us, showing us what we can learn, holding our hand when we see all this chaos around us. He is encouraging us, and he is showing us that he will bring order to it. In conclusion, I want you to look through that passage and see how much focus is on the word all and everything. I count at least 11 times that Paul stresses all and everything. All endurance, all creation, all things, everything reconcile to himself all things over and over and over again. It is about absolutely everything. There is no amount of disorder and chaos 
that Christ is not in control of. And it is to that that we can cling. It is that that we can trust. It is in that that we can have hope. Let us now pray. Lord God, we thank you that you do bring order from the chaos. We thank you that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you are growing us. And while we may be surrounded by confusion, while we may wonder where you are, we know that you are there. We know that you are in control, that you are the head of your church, and you are bringing your peace. Because you are reconciling all things, absolutely everything, to you. And that, Jesus, is our hope. Amen.